thing I wanted to mention before we get going here with the message tonight is that with our revival coming this coming uh, uh, Sunday through Wednesday, we don't want this just to be a corporate set of services where people come and sit on the pew and get preached to. We want God to do something special during that time. And revival um, uh, isn't something that can be scheduled. You don't just put a revival on the schedule and say, oh, well, we're going to have revival services. Revival is a condition of the heart where a person is revived or brought back around to having a much stronger spiritual heartbeat. And so that comes through uh, much meditation and much prayer and even supplication in seeking God's face. And so where will the work for the revival begin? It will begin in prayer closets. It will begin in your own personal prayer closets beginning uh, uh, tonight when you get home from church uh, tomorrow when you pray, and it will uh, continue on all week long, and we need to pray not only uh, uh, individually, we need to pray collectively. And I would encourage as many of you, as of you can to uh, get somebody, invite somebody to come with you this Saturday from 5 to 8 in the evening. The building will be open. We'll leave it open longer if we need to. If, you, if it's 8 o'clock, you don't have to leave. You can pray on past that. But from 5 to 8 uh, this Saturday, our building will be open and I would encourage you to either come alone or come with somebody and get down on your knees and pray and ask God to do a special work uh, here in our church and then beyond. I do believe that God uh, can send revival to this city, to this area, to this country yet again. And you look at all the things that are going on. We'll get talking about that more in a minute in our sermon. But all the things that are going on as far as natural disasters in the world around us, Listen, uh, the, the pump is being primed for revival. And we've got to get, get in and we've got to uh, do our part to see that happen. So uh, uh, get with someone and try to be here this Saturday and uh, we'll have the building open uh, for a time of prayer. And listen, if you ever want to come in and pray at another time, let me know and I'll make sure the building's open for you so that you can do that. Have you found Revelation 2 in your Bibles yet? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this evening. We're going to look at the first seven verses uh, of Revelation chapter 2, and this will kind of springboard us into uh, the, um, the the topic tonight. Verse 1 there, the Bible says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience for my namesake, hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so with that as the background, uh, we're going to look tonight. The title of the message is this, State of the Church Address. We're going to look at White Oak Baptist Church as a local, autonomous, independent Baptist church. We're going to look at our status. We're going to look at what we do well. We're going to look at some weaknesses we have as a church and try to address those. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight you'd help us as we dive into Scripture. And Lord, we dive into 
the realities of who we are. Sometimes, God, it helps to just look in a mirror in a bright room and see the, um, the smudge on our face, on our cheek. And, Lord, have that wiped off and cleaned. I pray, God, that um, corporately we would be willing to do that. And, Lord, um, um, corporate change in a church can't come unless individuals are willing to change. God, as I have prayed all week in preparation of this message, would you work in individuals' hearts tonight with a word of truth, pierce, and cut apart that which is uh, uh, stinking thinking. Cut aside those things that should not be in our lives. Lord, may we be true and honest about our dedication to Christian faith and our calling uh, here as a church. Lord, I pray tonight our hearts would be encouraged. And Lord, also our hearts will be challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Over the past two weeks on our continent, we have seen an earthquake in Mexico, the largest in its history. We have seen two hurricanes, uh, Harvey in Houston and Irma, which is now rolling through Florida. Great, great devast- devastation, loss of life, loss of property, or rather the damaging of property. While all that's going on, there are all kinds of wildfires that are just consuming and rolling through lots of land and property and even taking some lives in the western part of our country. You add to all that that uh, hanging in the air right now over our country is a threat of nuclear war with North Korea. As I prepare for my state, as I have prepared for my state of the church address, I think it is important that we understand which part of the church era we are living in. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 24. You want to hold your place in Revelation chapter 2. We'll be uh, uh, there uh, several times throughout the message tonight. But Matthew chapter 24, I want us to see where we are in the church era, the church dispensation. Uh, the church has not been around since the beginning of, 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 uh, of, of the creation of the world. The church began with Christ. He created the church. Uh, and it's a New Testament thing. And there will come a day where the church is taken to heaven and ceases to exist on the earth. So one might ask, where are we in all that? Are we still in the beginning of the church era? Are we in the middle of it? Are we at the end of it? And the answer to it is, no one can know totally for sure, but I'm going to tell you what, where I believe we are, based out of Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive you, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things uh, uh, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Look at this. And there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places, or in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, to be clear, earthquakes and uh, hurricanes and pestilence and famine, all that uh, has been around essentially the beginning of time. But I believe this teaches that as we approach the end, there is going to be an increase in these things. Now, there is some debate as to the exact time that this passage is describing. But I can say with certainty that there are wars... There are rumors of wars. Just turn on the news if you don't know about that. Uh, There are pestilence and earthquakes and famine abundant across our world. 
we have kingdom rising up against kingdom, and we have uh, many lower A antichrist people claiming to be the Christ. It seems like every time you turn around, someone else is claiming to be the Christ. You might remember the knucklehead out of uh, uh, Puerto Rico that was walking all everyone from Puerto Rico is a knucklehead. No, I'm just teasing. We got some Puerto Ricans in the crowd. I'm just teasing you. But there was a knucklehead out of Puerto Rico a few years back who was walking around uh, the United States claiming to be the Christ, claiming to be uh, Jesus, and uh, uh, just nonsense. It seems like every time you turn around, there's someone else making that claim, folks. It is my strong opinion that we are approaching the end of the church era. We're approaching the time where Christ will rapture His church. Now, the Bible tells us that no man knows the day or the hour. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what day I think Jesus is coming back. And if I did, you have every right to get up and walk out of the church and never come back because the Bible states clearly no man knows the day or the hour. And I always wondered why people think they can predict it when the Bible says, don't predict it! I never understood that. But uh, I don't know when it's coming, but I believe it is coming Soon. I believe it's coming very soon. So, all of that lays the groundwork uh, then for me to make a very solid point. Take your Bibles over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, the Bible describes people's religious tendencies during the time in which we live. And I want us to see, as we consider the status, the health of our church, the state of the church, uh, where, if we are in the church era, uh, where other churches will be at the end of uh, the church era, or when, where we are now, as uh, would be my opinion. Look at Second uh, Timothy chapter four. Look with me at verse three. And as we read these, I want you to these verses. I want you to ask yourself: Does this describe churches as a whole in 2017? The Bible says, "For the time will come." when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Paul told Timothy in the last days, people are going to turn away from sound doctrine. They're going to heap to themselves, or they're going to find in abundance teachers that have itching ears. What does that mean? That means they're going to go out and find a preacher that just pats them on the back, scratches the back of their ear like you do a dog, and tell them, hey, it's okay, you're alright the way you're living, it's all good. And our TVs are filled with people who are preaching a false doctrine of grace. They want to talk about, hey, don't worry about sin, it's all about God's grace. And the Bible says that they're going to turn away from truth. i got to say that uh, in 2017, there aren't all that many churches that just flat out preach the Bible. And have people that will sit there and let you just preach the Bible to them. What churches are really exploding in growth? You look at churches like one down in Houston that seats over 20,000 people. Their pastor will never ever preach uh, against much of anything. Why is it that? Because in the end days, you're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and teachers that preach fables and teachers that uh, uh, will not endure sound doctrine. So, I said that to say this. As we look around at the churches of this country and even around the world we find this to be true. We find that our church, White Oak Baptist Church, uh, while I'm going to do some critiquing of us tonight, please understand that we are one of a handful of churches left in the world 
that is still standing by the truth and holding to the timeless Word of God. And so I wanted all of everything I've shared with you so far tonight is meant to lay the background to give you perspective that while I will critique White Oak Baptist Church tonight, while I will point out some areas of growth, we are a church at its core that holds to this book right here being the foundation of our truth and what we believe. And so I am thankful that you come and just unabashedly let me preach the Word of God in every part of it and you're not afraid of it and you don't run from it. So a great praise to you about that. I propose that White Oak Baptist Church has some things that need to be corporately cleaned up. There are some strengths that we have, and there are likewise some struggles. In preparation for this message, I read through much history of the early church, and what I found is that most of them had the same thing. Most of them had strengths, and most of them had struggles. Now, we're going to look here quickly at some churches that had no strengths, in all struggles, and we're going to look at some churches that had all strengths and no struggles, but most churches had a list of strengths and a list of struggles. And so, go back to Revelation chapter 2 with me, if you will, and I'm not going to necessarily take you to chapter and verse, but if you work hard at it, you can follow along at what I'm about to, to do here. I'm going to go through the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and I'm going to point out the strengths and the struggles uh, as they're laid out there. And so you'll have to search for those on your own. If you don't want to do that, then just listen intently. Uh, there are seven churches here. If you notice, if you have a Bible that, uh, that has red letters in it, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, almost the entire chapter is in red ink because Jesus directly pointed out the strengths and the struggles. i got to say, I would love Jesus Christ to come down and, and in red, <laughs> uh, just directly tell us, why don't Baptist Church, this is what you do well, and this is what you don't do well. This is where you're strong, this is where you're not so strong. I would love Jesus, Jesus to do that, and I, I gotta tell you, I pray on a regular basis, I wish I could say a daily basis, but definitely a weekly basis, usually several times a week, I pray and say, Lord, what do you want done different at White Oak Baptist Church? How do you want us to do things better at White Oak Baptist Church? And so, uh, as we look at Revelation 2 and 3, we can see that Jesus did that very thing for these churches. With the church of Ephesus, what were their strengths? Well, their labor, their patience, their intolerance for evil. Uh, they were a church that spiritually reproduced. They were a church of spiritual endurance. Quite a long list of strengths, but as Pastor Mike so eloquently preached just about a month ago, their great struggle was that they left their first love. They just fell out of love with God. They were rigid. They were routine. They, they had uh, uh, the, uh, the systematic religion down, but they had left out their love for their Savior. And so uh, uh, Christ had some strong rebuke for them on that. How about the church of Smyrna or Smyrna, the second church mentioned there? What were their strengths? Well, their labor. And notice there, their tribulation and poverty. Their tribulation and poverty. What were their struggles? Well, there are none listed. Now, here's a quick, quick observation I want to make and we'll move on. A church under persecution becomes a purified church. Smyrna was a church of great tribulation and persecution. And the fire had been turned up underneath their gold and all the infirmities had been burned out. Christ had no critique of the church 
of Smyrna. How about the church of Pergamos there? Uh, What were their strengths? Well, again, their labor and then their defense of the name of God. What were their struggles? Well, some uh, in the church of Pergamos held to the doctrine of Balaam. Some held to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. How about the church of Thyatira? What were their strengths? There were several uh, listed. Their labor, their charity, their service, their faith, their patience. What were their struggles? Well, their struggles were that they let Jezebel-type women influence the church to commit fornication and eat meat offered to idols. How about the church of Sardis? What were their strengths? Well, their labor and a few of their church members did what was right. What were their struggles? Well, their reputation did not match their character. Their reputation was up here in the community. Their character was in the, in the basement. Their character was not there, and Christ saw right through the facade of who they were. Their labor was imperfect or impure before God. How about the church of Philadelphia? Uh, this would be the first church, I believe, mentioned in chapter 3 there. What were their strengths? It was their labor, their commitment to Scriptures, their commitment to Christ's name, their patience. No struggles of the church of Philadelphia were mentioned. Uh, i got to say that I would love us to be like the church of Philadelphia. Um, uh, uh, did a lot for the Lord. They were not under persecution. And, and uh, no, God did not mention a single critique toward them there. How about the church of the Laodiceans? There were no strengths in that church. Not one. How about their struggles? Well, they were lukewarm. They were abominable. They were deceived by physical wealth. And in all reality, they were spiritually poor, spiritually blind, and spiritually naked. Again, White Oak Baptist Church, I propose that we have our strengths and struggles. And after 14 months of pastoring this local called out assembly, I would like to praise you for where you do well. And I would like to admonish you where you struggle. The purpose of the message tonight is not to be unkind or nasty, but it is to be blunt, straightforward, and honest so that we can uh, be like the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Let's look at our own sets of strengths and struggles and consider what they are and what we can do as individuals to be a better church. Number one, point number one of the message tonight, notice the strengths of our church. The strengths of our church. Let's jump right into this. Letter A, notice the word balance. Balance. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says this, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but but a just weight is His delight. A just weight is His delight. God wants to look down at a balanced church. And I'm not going to say that our church is balanced in every way, but I do believe that White Oak Baptist Church is a pretty balanced church in a whole bunch of ways. Let me give you three areas, uh, three uh, areas of balance. I believe our church is quite well balanced. The first one there would be age balance. Age balance. You ever walked in a church where the median age was like 72? You ever been in a church like that? Everyone is, uh, you know, talking about uh, denture and liniment cream. That's the, that's the topic of conversation when you sit around and, uh, that, that, that's just how it goes. And you're a younger, youngster and you walk in and it's, hey, Shunny, uh, what brought you into our church tonight? And everyone's old and they don't have a youth group because all the teenagers grew up and left and, and, uh, they used to have a children's ministry and there are toys from the 1980s sitting in the nursery and they haven't been touched in 25 or 30 years. Uh, and, and it's just an old, old church. I gotta say, that's not a healthy church. But likewise, walking into a church 
where the median age is 23 or 24 or even 30. That's not a healthy church either. A healthy church needs the saints, the senior, seasoned saints who have walked the Christian life for many years and then they need the young folks that bring the horsepower. Amen? Bring the power and the energy and the enthusiasm. And as I look at White Oak Baptist Church, I see families that are young and I see families that are old. I see families that were reached under Pastor Brown. I see families that were reached under Pastor Peslak. And I see families that have been reached since my wife and I have arrived through, through the ministries of the church here. And i got to say, praise the Lord for a church that's balanced in its age. We have, uh, we have a great age. And I would guess if you took everybody's age in the room tonight and you averaged it out, it would probably be somewhere around 40 or maybe upper 30s. And so, praise the Lord for that. Another area of balance I see that White Oak Baptist Church has is cultural balance. Cultural balance. We're uh, praying hard for the people in Miami. Um, uh, two years ago, Angela and I went to um, uh, Miami uh, with, our, with our children. Uh, we have a, a friend of ours that, gave, that bought us a train ride from Baltimore to Fort Lauderdale. And it was not just sitting in coach. We had our own rooms with beds and, and, and meal vouchers. It was awesome. It was about a 24-hour train ride, but it was a, it was a great experience. And we got down there and uh, we, we found a private beach where we could go and spend time as a family. And we sought out a good Baptist church there. And i got to tell you, the church was just phenomenal. It was, it was exactly like we are. The pastor was biblical and right down the line. And we sat there on a Wednesday night and we looked around the auditorium and there was not one race that dominated the room. Uh, there was as many uh, African, uh, American, and even African people as there were Spanish people as there were white people. It was a culturally diverse church, and Asian people, Filipino people, and I looked at Angela and I said, boy, when we pastor one day, I would love to pastor a church that is as ethnically and culturally diverse as this one. And then God brought us up to Stratford, and that's exactly what this church is. And I've got to say, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Today, I looked out during the 1045 service. We had a, a pretty uh, sizable crowd here today. And i got to say, of all the Sundays I've been here, we were as ethnically diverse today uh, at 1045 than we have ever been. And, uh, and, I, and I love uh, talking to people about our church and bragging on you all. And I say, listen, God had me learn Spanish uh, back in 2009 to 2013 in that ministry there because now about half the congregation of the church here speaks Spanish. La verdad es que yo puedo empezar predicando en español y la mayoría de ustedes entienden qué estoy diciendo. What I just said there is I could preach in Spanish and the majority of you would understand what I'm saying. Now the rest of you didn't get that, but that's okay. Um, we, lit, we have a church that is ethnically, culturally diverse. And i got to say uh, that the civil rights leaders of the 1960s that had pure hearts with what they were preaching, they would love to sit in the back of our church and see what's going on here today. And i got to say, White Oak Baptist Church, thank you for not being a racially tensioned church. Thank you for being a church that is above racial clashes and uh, culture clashes and you're willing to love and accept people beyond the color of their skin and you're able to see their heart and their soul and you're able to accept them for who they are. So, White Oak Baptist Church is a balanced church. The third area of balance I wrote down here is spiritual balance. Spiritual balance. A good, balanced church 
needs folks with knowledge. Needs folks who know the book. They are not novices. And I believe that's got to begin with a pastor. And uh, uh, I, there was a time where I couldn't have pastored because I was a novice in a lot of ways. And i got to be honest, there are still some areas, some minor areas, some subcategories where I'm still getting through some being a novice. But when it comes to the Bible, I praise the Lord that I don't believe I am a novice. I feel like I know the Bible pretty well. Plenty of room to grow. Uh, 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 lots of room to grow. You never learn it all, but uh, uh, praise the Lord God has given me that. But beyond uh, myself, we have a deacon board that is filled with biblical knowledge. Our deacons know the Bible. We have Sunday school teachers that know the Bible. We have, uh, we have uh, church members who know the Bible. You've been saved for many, many years and God has given you a great wealth, commonwealth, a great wealth of knowledge in the Bible. But knowledge without zeal, boy, what good is that? While we have folks in our church who've been saved a long time, we have another crowd in our church that hasn't really been saved all that long. And they may not have the knowledge, but buddy, they've got the zeal. They're fired up for the Lord. Now, then we have those that have zeal and knowledge, and that's ultimately where you need to get as a Christian. But a good, balanced church has a group of people who bring the knowledge and a group of people who bring the zeal. Now, let me say here quickly, I don't think this is a problem, but it could potentially become one. People with no knowledge and lots of zeal get on the nerves of people that have knowledge and no zeal. Will you just settle down? And then people, uh, vice versa, they rub each other the wrong, wrong way. People with all the zeal say, good night, I, you know the Bible inside and out, but you're lazy! You just sit on the pew and you brag about all the Bible you know and what you used to do. Get off the pew and go do something with your knowledge. And then the people with knowledge look at the people with zeal and say, hey, you're running a mile uh, knocking on doors and inviting people to church, but you're offending half of them in the process and you need to get some knowledge about you. And i got to say, if you're here and you're a zealous Christian, go get some knowledge. And if you're a Christian that's got a lot of knowledge, go get some zeal. And don't let the other one rub you the wrong way. But I look at White Oak Baptist Church as being a church that's balanced. And uh, again, there are areas where we're probably not in perfect balance. But in those three areas, and probably some others, we have great balance at our church. So, praise Kudos to White Oak Baptist Church and praise the Lord for bringing that about here in this place. Let her be strengths of our church. I see a biblical church, a biblical church. God has blessed White Oak Baptist Church with many good Bible teachers, Bible teachers. If someone from the outside were to ask me what White Oak Baptist Church is all about, I wouldn't have to say a word. I would just have to do this right here. Hold up the word of God. This is what we're about, right here. If it says it in here, we need to preach it, we need to teach it, we need to live it. If it doesn't say it in here, well, there probably doesn't need to be a whole lot of time spent on it, if any at all. We're biblical. We're biblical. This morning I said some things that were politically incorrect. I talked about hell. It's not a politically correct idea. I talked about sin. Oh, man. The word sin, ouch, that's hard on the ear. 
Talked about premarital relations. And, 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 oh, pastor, don't talk about premarital relations. Don't talk about divorce. Don't talk about those things. They don't fit the culture. I'm sorry. They're found right here in the Scriptures. We're going to talk about it. Now, we're not going to harp on all the controversial things all the time just to be contentious for the sake of being contentious. But at the same time, we're not going to shy away from it either. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. One thing I love about this church is that if I ever preach something that doesn't line up with Scripture, I would be tackled after church by about 20 of you. Pastor, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, there have been times where I've preached something where a church member... Uh, has felt like maybe I didn't quite have it right. And they have approached me and said, Pastor, what about this? You are always welcomed to challenge me with the Word of God. It's not me that uh, it matters around here. It's the Word of God that matters around here. And I've got to say that that culture is very strong here at this church. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 10 explains uh, the power of the Word of God and its role here amongst us. It says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And so when I look at White Oak Baptist Church, I see a church that has balance. I see a church that is biblical. Letter C, I see a church that is benevolent. Benevolent. Oftentimes I'll have guests visit the church that are friends of mine. Some of them in the area that I've gotten to know in the community and have invited and they've come out once or twice and Maybe they come and I just can't get them to have that level of commitment to be faithful. I've had some family and friends from outside the church that has come and visited from out of town. And I will generally, at least with my family and friends, I will generally say to them on the phone after they're out of town, I'll say, listen, I want you to give me a straightforward synopsis of our church. Tell me some strengths. Tell me some weaknesses. Help me to see where we can improve. And uh, most of my friends and family are very grounded in church and, and, and come from strong churches themselves. And the one compliment that every single one of them has paid you, White Oak Baptist Church, is that you are very, very friendly. You're very friendly. Um, you ever been in a church where uh, you had to go out of your way to get a handshake as a visitor? And then, you know, everyone's just like, who are you and what are you doing here? You need to leave right now. You don't belong in our church. You ever been in a church like that? That's not this church. Um, quite the contrary. People visit and they are just buried with affection and love. We had a couple visit today. A young married couple visit today. Miss Hope Harvey invited them and they went to the wrong Sunday school class. Amen. They went to the college and career class. They should have gone to the sweetheart couples class. But nonetheless, they hope's trying to win that contest for the Rivera. So took them to the Rivera's class and all that. That's great. But uh, they were here until about one o'clock talking with church members. Just wouldn't let them go. Just talking to them and talking to them and talking to them. What Baptist Church? You are benevolent with your attention. You are benevolent with your love. Um, oftentimes I will preach and say things like, if someone puts their face in a tackle box right before they walk in the back door of our church, you need to love them just the same. And I've got to say that you do a very good job at that. Regardless of what the way they look or smell or act or talk when they walk in the door, they're dressed. White Oak Baptist Church, you're very benevolent with your words. White Oak Baptist Church, you're very benevolent with your money. You're very giving. 
Last Thanksgiving, we had a service on Thanksgiving morning, and we had a family in the church, a, a strong key family in our church, that just did not have any money. They had hit a hard time, and they were not going to be able to, to eat. They didn't have any groceries in their cabinets, and I anonymously asked the crowd that showed up Thanksgiving morning if they could just reach in their pocket and give what they had to help take care of this family. And by the time the offering was done being collected, we had over $900 in the plate. $900, and that was with just a remnant of our regular crowd. A very giving, benevolent church. To my right, the auditorium left, we have three buses sitting there on the property. Joan Surrett came to me, and uh, some of the senior sisters had gotten together and got talking, and they wanted to do something uh, uh, for the church and for the bus ministry. They had a, a burden uh, to see more bus children reached. And Joan Surrett came to me and said, Pastor, we want to do a church-wide tag sale. We will run the whole thing. The senior sisters will run the whole thing. And I, I have learned that if uh, someone's got a good idea and they're fired up about it, I just need to get out of their way and let them do it. Especially if I believe it's a good idea, and that was a good idea. And that uh, that uh, fundraiser uh, raised a little over four thousand dollars for the church, but uh, that began uh, some momentum with people giving. And by the time the giving was done, by no push from the pulpit, no push from the pulpit whatsoever, we had thirty-two thousand dollars sitting in account to buy buses with. Why don't Baptist Church? You are a benevolent church. Those of you that came to our last business meeting, there was an individual, uh, uh, anonymous to me, I keep it that way on purpose, but an individual that placed a $100,000 check in the plate to go toward our mortgage, knocking over five years off of our mortgage and setting us up to pay our mortgage off in the next five or six years. And I've got to say, at White Oak Baptist Church, you are a church full of Barnabases. You give and you give and you give. And if there's a need, you give a little more. And so, as we look at the strengths of our churches, uh, of our church here tonight, we see that we see balance. We see that uh, the biblical concept. We see benevolent. But we're going to uh, turn uh, tonight and look at the struggles of our church. The struggles of our church. Now, let me say before I get into the list of the struggles, uh, as I went over the strengths of our church, Please note that not everyone embodies those strengths. There are some of you here tonight, you're not very balanced, you're not very biblical, and you're not very benevolent. Now, I don't think, well, I know that's not most of you, but there are a couple of misers on the pew. You, you need to get with the program in those areas. But the large majority of you are those things. Now, as I go over the struggles of our church... You need to also remember that not everyone embodies these struggles. Not everyone. I do believe, after 14 months of being here, and laboring with you and observing, I do believe that the large majority of you here tonight struggle with these things. Or at least one or two or more of these things. Let's jump in tonight and... And let's look at this. Before I do that, let me read, read a verse for you. Romans fourteen sixteen says this, Let not your good be evil spoken of. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Is it good that you're saved? Yes. Amen? Is it good that you go to church? Yes, it is. 
Is it good that you go to a Bible-preaching, Christ-honoring church? It is. If you're a member here, man, that's even better. But you're not to let your good be evil spoken of. You're not to do your good in a way that can be criticized and can be a stumbling block to others. And so, tonight, as we consider these critiques, these struggles, ask yourself this, do I struggle with these things, and is this causing my good to be evil spoken of? Letter A, notice this, not conscious of the time. Not conscious of the time. Another way to put that would be tardy. Now, let me say that I did alliterate these. I thought about not alliterating them. Uh, but I, I didn't, um, I didn't alliterate, uh, them and then say, well, um, I, I'm gonna throw this one out because it doesn't fit the alliteration. I literally wrote down the list of items and then turned around and figured out how to alliterate those. So, I'm not leaving anything out because of the alliteration. I wanna make sure I'm clear on that. Uh, not conscious of the time or tardy or tardy. Now, um, White Oak Baptist Church, I have just praised you for being ethnically Diverse. Right? And it's great. Can I tell you, as someone who knows the Spanish community well, can I tell you, as someone who is a Spanish pastor for four years, the Latin community struggles with being on time. I love you. The Latin community isn't the only community with the struggles with being on time. I am learning that that is seeping into the American culture as well. When I pastored the Spanish church, our service time was at 2.30 in the afternoon. We met in the main auditorium. And our materials said that we began at 2.30. <laughs> in all reality, we started somewhere between 2.45 and 3 o'clock. And uh, I was a young whippersnapper in the ministry. I think I was 23 uh, so doing about 10 years ago, I was 23 when I, when I took over that role and, and it's really hard to start services when you have three people in the building. And at 2.30, we had three people in the building. And so we would wait and about 2.35 or 2.40, we'd have a few more there and at 2.45-ish, we would have enough to start the service. And so we'd run everybody out of the uh, lobby and into the auditorium and we would start and 2.40 turn into 2.45, turn into 2.48, turn into 2.50, turn into 2.53, turn into 2.55. And, and I remember we had a family pull up on the parking lot and boy, they were sharp. And you got to understand, at the very beginning of my time there with the Spanish church, the previous Spanish pastor had uh, 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 pulled some shenanigans and had been fired and, and thrown out because he had been inappropriate with a woman in the Spanish church there. And so most of the people that had been going to the Spanish church left. Angela and I came in there and uh, we were basically starting from scratch with this. And there were some families in the auditorium, the English church that spoke Spanish, they were coming in and helping us, but we were really grappling and clamoring and working to get Spanish-speaking folks from the community onto the pew. And so uh, uh, this uh, family came in, and boy, when, you're, when you just don't have a lot of people and you have a sharp family walk in like that, boy, you, you're, you, you, you fall over yourself to try to get them to come back. And uh, that guy uh, showed up, and he showed up at 2.15, and 2.30 got there, and he started to get antsy. I think it really uh, irritated him that his um, Spanish-speaking uh, uh, peers 
struggled with uh, tardiness. And so he was walking around and meeting our, reading our missionary letters. I was watching him. He was looking at his watch. Finally, a few more people trickled in and we got started close to three o'clock. And I gotta tell you, that really bothered him. I never saw him again. Never saw him again. Now maybe they wouldn't have come back anyway. I look at our nursery. If you work in our nursery, thank you. Thank you. We wouldn't be able to have this in the peace and quiet we have it in if we had babies everywhere. But put yourself in a visitor's shoes. You, you get up and you, you go through the rigors of getting a baby ready to go and children ready to go and you run out the door and you're going to try out this new church and you show up and it's ten minutes before the service starts and someone brings you back to the nursery and there's no work, nursery worker there. And there you are. You're the nursery worker for that service. And you're looking at your watch and you say, well, church doesn't start until 8.30 and I'm pulling in at 8.20. It's okay. And you make your way into the lobby there and someone stops you and, oh, how is your week? And, and how are things? And, and by 8.28, you finally break away and you walk in the nursery. Boy, you're that visiting family and you're going, there's no one here to take my baby until two minutes before church starts? Would you come back to White Oak Baptist Church or would you find another Bible preaching church in the area that had on-time nursery workers? How about, uh, how about Sunday school teachers? Are you early? Now, I'm going to give you a phrase. If you're taking notes, please write this down. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. You need to be early. Look, if you teach a Sunday school class here, you ought to be the first one in your Sunday school room. And I have told our Sunday school teachers in our leadership team meetings, by the way, we have one tomorrow, be there, be on time. Amen. Be 15 minutes early. Uh, but uh, I've told our Sunday school teachers in our, in our meetings that uh, you, uh, if you come to the 830 service, slip out early and get to your class. You need to be up there. You need to be the first one in your room. You need to be there to shake a hand. You need to make sure that uh, they know uh, that you're there to greet them. How about the sound booth? You work the sound booth. You need to be here 15 minutes early. You need to make sure the mics are checked and the batteries are good. You need to make sure everything's ready to go and rolling. You don't need to show up right when church starts. You need a plan to be on time. How about the choir? You have choir practice at uh, at, uh, at 10... What is it, uh, uh, Pastor Mike? 10.30? 10.35? back here in the choir ready room. You've got choir practice at 4.30. You don't need to be stra- uh, uh, walking in at 4.35 or 4.38. You don't need to be straggling up uh, uh, there. You need to be on time. Uh, what about just being a church attendee? i got to tell you, uh, and again, uh, I, I'm not upset about this. It's just something I've observed. At 8.30 when the service starts, sometimes there's as few as eight people sitting in the pew. And then when I start preaching, there's 35 or 40 or more in the pew. Now you say, Pastor, that's not a big deal. Look, i got to tell you, if I was visiting a church and I showed up and I was a professional person and, and I, I really had the character to be early to things, and, and I showed up and I walked in and I'm looking around and this whole side's empty except two people. And this side's got like 15 people in it. And then I turn around a few minutes later and there's another 35 or 40 people in the auditorium. I'm thinking, this church really has a character flaw. I don't know that I fit here. You say, all I do is come and sit on the pew. 
I need you here early, and I need you shaking hands, and I need you being warm to our visitors. Be on time. Be on time. You see, I'm smiling right now. Be on time. Letter B. Not consistent and reliable. Not consistent and reliable. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says this, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Let me read another verse for you. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 20, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. A faithful man. A faithful man. Let me ask you this morning, do you value your word? When you give your word and you commit to something, do you value that? Do you keep your commitments? Do you keep your commitments? What is the greatest ability? You've heard all the abilities, right? You've heard of uh, availability. Is it good to be available? It's good to be available. I don't think that's the greatest ability. Is it responsibility? Is it accountability? A strong argument could be made that it is dependability. Dependability. White Oak Baptist Church, attendees, members, if you commit to something, then can you be relied upon? You signed up to be in the choir. It ought to be that if you're not there, someone thinks you must be either dead or in the hospital. Because you are faithful to your place. What if you handled your work the way you handled your church commitments. How long would it take you to lose your job? Now you all, most of you here are volunteers. And i got to say thank you for volunteering. But this church can only go as far as the volunteers are willing to be faithful. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 19, listen closely to this verse. It says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Anybody here ever had their foot out of joint? Ever had a broken tooth? It doesn't feel good. When uh, you agree to be in the nursery and then you don't text our nursery coordinator when you have an emergency... Now we're sitting there with no one in the nursery. You, uh, you agree to be in the choir, and look, I, I'm just, again, we're talking about the struggles of our church, and I'm just addressing it head on. Uh, some weeks in our choir, we've got 20 people up there. Other weeks, we've got 6 people up there. That shouldn't be. If you agree to be in the choir, it ought to be the same number every week, unless, unless one of you's got a big major problem. Some of you here have agreed to work the bus ministry. We need more of you to work the bus ministry. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We have a bus meeting at 10 o'clock. You ought to be there every week. The only reason why you ought to miss is if you're deathly sick or in the hospital. Those of you that are on our leadership team, our Sunday school teachers, our deacons, our paid staff, we have a monthly meeting. You need to be there. We have Tuesday outreach. You need to be there. We have your Sunday school class. Those of you that teach that, you need to be there. You need to be reliable. You need to be counted upon. You need to be dependable. It's not just that you are on time. It's, it's that you are uh, there week 
after week after week after week after week after week after week after week. You're just there. You're in your place. It ought to be that if you are not in your place, people instantaneously become worried and concerned about your well-being. Can I make a statement tonight that um, should be obvious, but one that we can forget about? No organization can be built on people that are not reliable. You can't do it. You can't build an organization on people that are not reliable. Let me hear you say amen tonight if you, uh, uh, if you uh, agree with this statement. God's business is the greatest business in all the world. You believe that? Then do it first class. Do it first class. Be consistent. Be consistent. Letter C. Not fully committed to church. Not fully committed to church. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. I'm going to go past 715. I already have. I might even go quite a bit past 715. If you have young children and you need to slip out and go home, uh, or you just need to get out of here because you've got to work tomorrow, uh, I'm not, no one's going to think bad of you. I, I, I promise we'd be, or I, I said we'd be done at 715. This morning, and, and I, I just have more to say, and, and I, that's not going to happen. So, if you've got to get out of here, by all means, slip out and go home. No one will think less of you. I promise. I promise. That's on me for uh, for not uh, uh, keeping to to that uh, earlier. So, uh, but uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and continue on here. Not fully committed to church. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this: Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is but exhorting one or more, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, we've all heard this verse hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times if we've gone to church, uh, but uh, it's a verse that uh, i got to say a lot of Christians really, 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 really struggle with. Everybody look back at verse 25 with me, and I want us out loud to read the first two words together. Out loud, loud. Here we go, ready? Not forsaking. Again, ready? Not forsaking. Now, Every church I've ever attended seems to struggle with this on some level. But it appears to me that maybe our church struggles with it a little bit more than most. Not forsaking. That means if there's a church service here, according to what this Bible teaches, you are supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. Now, are there exceptions to that? Yeah. If you're sick, you can't make it, okay. Uh, I don't want you coming here and giving me the flu, amen? If you're in the hospital, I don't expect you to sneak out of the hospital and get to church. If uh, you get locked up for some reason, you can't get here, you're incarcerated, they won't let you get here. Uh, listen, uh, uh, there are times where I'm away from here, uh, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute, but uh, uh, you ought to be in a local assembly somewhere Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You say, but pastor, where does the Bible say that i got to go to church on Sunday night? Where does it say i got to go on Wednesday night? Listen, it says we're supposed to do it more as we see the day approaching. We stated in the beginning of the service that we're at the end of the church era. You could make an argument that we don't go to church enough. You can make a strong argument for that. And so Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, uh, if I read this properly, you're supposed to be there. What are some of the excuses that people give for why they can't come to church? I, I wrote down several here. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. Uh, several people struggle with several of these things. And so if this hits you between the eyes, I, I, I love you. I promise I do. We're just trying to address this tonight. Uh, the first one I wrote down was work. Work. 
Now, i got to tell you, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. In my Christian life, I have had jobs that pulled me away from a Wednesday evening service. And i got to say, I don't know that that was real biblical of me to do. I'm just being very honest with you tonight. Um, you say, but pastor, uh, it, it isn't as simple as you make it. i got bills to pay. This is the job that I have been provided with. Can I just tell you that... Um, If you work during church services, could it be that you're more relying on yourself to pay your bills than you are God to pay your bills? Now, that's not popular to preach. It's not. Because a lot of you in here miss a service for work. And I don't say it to be mean or nasty or unkind. But what if you were to take the mentality, the attitude of, I will not work during church services. I will not do it. God, I believe you're big enough, you're strong enough, you're powerful enough that you're going to provide me employment that allows me to obey the Bible and not forsake the assembling of myself with the believers. I believe that you're powerful enough to do that. Now, I'm not saying you need to walk in tomorrow and give up, uh, uh, give up your job and resign. I'm not saying that. But I think you need to start looking very hard, very soon, for God to provide you another job. And pray and beg that He gives you a job that allows you to be in church service. Here's another reason. Fatigue. Fatigue. Well, I worked all week and, you know, um, um, it's go, go, go six days a week. And I wake up on Sunday morning and I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Look, I don't mind you coming and sleeping in church. Just don't bring your pillow, amen? And George brought a pillow, but it's behind his back, so you're good. Uh, don't bring your pillow. Don't lay down in the pew. Um, look, uh, uh, skipping church because you're tired. Look, I get that you're tired. I've said this many times. I do believe that we move at a faster pace than God intended. I believe society dictates that. We are in a full-time sprint our whole entire adult lives, and it, it wears us out. It flat out wears us out. But that's not a reason to miss church. Just not. Here's another one. Seeking of overtime. You, you can begin to rationalize this. Well, they're offering overtime, and you know it's time and a half pay. It's even double pay. And, and, and I've got Christmas coming up, and I don't know I'm going to buy all the Christmas presents. And Look, your children will be fine with a, a meager Christmas. Your children will be fine a little bit less this year. You don't need as much money as you think you do. You can learn to live within your means at a, at a less amount. What if you were to say no to overtime and say yes to God? You think that pleases Him? Here's another reason. Well, pastor, on Sunday we have our family get-togethers. We, we go to church Sunday morning... And then we go to Grandma's house Sunday afternoon, and we eat, and we eat, and we eat, and we eat, and then we're so full that come Sunday night, everyone's still sitting around and talking. It's just awkward to get up and walk out and go to church, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. I'm talking about being committed to the house of God. I'm talking about being committed to each other. I wrote down this one, and this one I, I kind of added later to my list here. A lingering Catholic mindset about going once a week. You know what the Catholics tell you? You just 
just go once a week. And you're, you're, you're good with God if you go once a week. How many former Catholics have we got here? Raise your hand if you're a former Catholic. Keep them up for a minute. Keep them up for a minute. Wow. Half the church. you got to break that. you got to break that. It, it, church is more than once a week. Uh, church, is, church is supposed to increase as we get closer to those end times. And here's one that really, I believe, why the Baptist church needs to hear, and it's the word vacation. Vacation. What do you do about church with vacation? You say, well, pastor, is it a big deal if we go on vacation and we don't go to church? I believe it is. I do. Church has got to be a priority to you. You know, when you've got children and you say to them on a Sunday morning, we're going to church. You know what you're saying to those children? Church matters. Church matters supremely. Um, my mom and dad, we didn't go on vacations very much. We were, we were pretty poor. But as it got into my teen years and even my uh, young adult college years being home during the summertime, we would go on some vacations and we had some really funny church experiences. You say, well, Pastor, what about watching the live stream? We have a live stream. And I've got to tell you, a couple of times I've almost just shut it down. Because I have heard of church members who just stay home and just watch the live stream. That's not the purpose of the live stream. The purpose of the live stream is when you can't come. It's when you are sick and you have a fever. Or uh, 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 some other odd extenuating circumstances. It's for people who live in an area of the country or world that don't have a Sunday evening service. Or can't, don't have a good church to go to on a Sunday morning. You're not too far forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, I will tell you this, that my family, when we do take a vacation, at some point we'll take one, we're not going to turn the live stream on. We're going to go to a church. We're going to walk into a brick and mortar building. We're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm not doing church in my PJs, amen? I'm just not doing it. I, we're going to walk into a church, and I'm, I do that because I believe that that is what Hebrews 10 25 teaches. Psalm 122.1, I am glad, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you love God? Do you love God? Then be faithful to His house. Be faithful to His house. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Prove it. Be faithful to His house. Say, but pastor, that's going to rework my whole schedule. Well, what comes first? Money or God? You can't serve God and mammon. It, the, what, it, what are the large rocks in the, uh, uh, the jar of your life? Is it God and church and being faithful? If it is, then the pebbles in the sand of work will fall in around uh, the, um, uh, the, the large rocks uh, of being faithful to God in His house. When we move uh, to an area, and we've, Angel and I have done a lot of moving in our uh, married life, we've lived in many different cities and, and in areas, and every time we move somewhere, after a few months, people will ask us, do you like the area? And can I tell you how I answer that question? If I like the church, I like the area. You know why? Because the church is the center of the hub of our lives. And I haven't always been a pastor my whole married life. I haven't always been on a paid staff. The church was still the center of the hub 
of our lives. You say, but pastor, that might mean we've got to make some sacrifices. Look, if you've got to downsize your house, if you've got to downsize your, your, your vehicle usage, if you've got to downsize how many cell phones you carry, if you've got to downsize and stop having cable, if you've got to uh, get cheaper car insurance, if you've got to make some changes to cut out the pork in your life, the pork spending in your life, then do it! God comes first! And you're going to have all of eternity to regret that you didn't make God a larger priority. WOBC struggles, not conscious of the time or tardy, not consistent and reliable, not fully committed to church. Let me give you one more and we'll be done. Too comfortable to really care. Too comfortable to really care. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 there. The book of 1 Timothy, Paul is mentoring his protege, his apprentice, and he's giving him um, uh, some some warnings here about what can come in and snare him and tempt him and drop him from the ministry. Paul, at this point, is speaking from experience of what he has seen pull other people out of church and and hurt many Christians. Look at verse 6 there. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I don't know that anybody here loves money, but I do know that many of us here love what money buys. You know what money buys? It buys comfort. Comfortable things bring about a comfortable life. You know what a comfortable Christian is? A comfortable Christian is a tempted Christian. Why is it that we're late all the time? Is it because we're too tired from trying to earn money to buy comfort? Why is it that we're not faithful to our ministries? Why is it that we're not committed to church attendance? I believe it's because we're too busy buying and maintaining comfort. Comfort. Many Christians don't want to work the nursery. You know why? It's not comfortable. We love comfort more than we do love God and serving God. Many Christians don't want to teach a children's class because it's not comfortable. A few moments ago, I praised White Oak Baptist Church for raising, many of you gave, $32,000 to buy these buses out here. Soon we'll send them out to get painted and then uh, they'll be tagged and put on the road. We can't use those buses till we have some CDL drivers. We can't really fill up the buses till we have some people who are willing to be bus captains. 
But you know what that requires? Trading in your comfortability to care. To care. Why do Baptist Church need some Christians that will say, give me the fellowship of His suffering? That's what I want to know. I'll do without monetarily so I can have I can have the fellowship of His suffering. Now, I've given you a list of strengths. I've given you a list of struggles. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. You say, Pastor, what are we to do? What are we to do about it? Some of you here tonight, boy, none of those struggles apply to you. That's you, great. Let the Lord work on your heart where you do have a struggle. Some of you here tonight, man, I stepped all over your toes. I punched you in the mouth verbally. You're thinking, man, pastor, just let me have it. What am I supposed to do? Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. This was to the church of Ephesus after Jesus admonished the church about not loving him the right way. It says there, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place. Those last three words, except thou repent. Look down at verse 16. This is the church of Pergamos. That first word there, it says, repent, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with sword of my mouth. What are you supposed to do? You need to repent. You need to humble your heart. You say, Lord, I, I, to be honest, I don't have the faith right now to make all the changes that I know I need to make, but give me that faith. I'm going to, in my mind, turn from being tardy or, or, or not being fully committed or not being faithful to church or, or being too comfortable to care. Lord, uh, uh, work on me with that and I want to repent in my mind. And repentance is a changing of the mind that in time leads to a changing of the action. You need to repent. Look down at Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. This is to the church of Thyatira. It says there, And he that overcometh, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Step one, repent. Step two, overcome. 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 Why do Baptist Church... We need to overcome these things. Can we be the church of Philadelphia? Praised highly by Christ and critiqued not at all. If we're going to get these things fixed corporately, then we must get them fixed individually. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us. Lord, I hope I I didn't come across as unkind or mean.